0: Acts chapter four is where we're at today. The title is Generosity and Hypocrisy, right? Generosity and Hypocrisy. And uh, it's not much of a Palm Sunday message. I know we've got a beautiful little setup here. We've got the kids with the palm branches. Uh, we're just gonna continue through the book of Acts. However, uh, as you read Matthew's account of the triumphal entry Jesus goes from, uh, from the donkey to overlooking Jerusalem and crying out over Jerusalem. Uh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you under my arms as, as a hen gathers her chicks. But you were not willing. You were not willing. And then in chapter 23 of, of uh, Matthew Jesus goes on to say, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And he calls out their hypocrisy in all the ways that they were very religious and they polished the outside of the dish, but the inside of the dish was very gross. How many of us are teaching our children how to wash dishes, you know? And you're like, oh, good job on the outside. Oh, but there's a whole bunch of like oatmeal stuck on the inside or ice cream, you know? And who am I kidding? Like, it's me, right? This week, was like, you call this clean, dad? I'm like, I think Lainey's responsible for that one. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, so, but how we as hypocrites can be like, oh, I totally look all churchy, going to church on Sunday, got my churchiness going on, but the inside, like Jesus also puts it, um, you're like a whitewashed tomb, right? Oh, the outside, you painted it up real nice, but on the inside, there are dead men's bones, Okay. And we want the Lord to have a work of us on the inside where the outside matches the inside and vice versa. And so that is a bit of a Palm Sunday message there that leads us into this hypocrisy section as we start chapter five in just a few minutes. Now, let's go to verse 32, Acts 4.32. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his his own, but they had all things in common. So by chapter five of the book of Acts, there's now a multitude of Christians. That word multitude, is the same word that is used to follow, to describe the followers of Jesus in the gospels. Multitude speaks of thousands of people. I think the gospel of Mark uses the word throng of people. People thronged Jesus. So there's thousands and thousands. I think at this point, there's something around 8,120 Men that are believers, not to mention all the women and children. So we're looking up into the tens to thirties of thousands of Christians right now. And how did those early Christians behave and live? Well, we see that they were of one heart and one soul, uh, which describes their unity of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians tells us that the Holy Spirit, one of his works that he does within the church is he brings unity. Romans speaks of it in fifteen five. Uh, that we would be like-minded toward one another. Second line down, like-minded toward one another. Uh, and then in verse six, that we would have one mind and one mouth in our worship in the way we glorify the Lord. And so uh, this is something that God desires for us 2,000 years later in Primeville, that we wouldn't just have all kinds of different directions that we're going theologically. Ephesians 4 tells us that that would make us like uh, people who are ebbed to and fro with every wind of doctrine that comes across our plate, but know uh, that we would have one one mind, that we would know the one gospel, that we would have uh, great unity of heart. Philippians says at the end of verse 27 that we would with one mind strive together for the faith of the gospel. And so, Lord, give us unity of mind as a church. And many of you are coming into Calvary um, just new to the church. And uh, we welcome you. We're stoked that you're here. It's a thrilling thing. Um, and we're praying for you, by the way, regularly as, as more people come to Calvary. And one thing we pray is that God would give us one mind, one heart. We all come from different backgrounds. That's one of the beauties of Calvary Chapel. It's not a very old um, it's not a denomination technically, but we really have that movement feel with one another that God would give us unity of heart despite some of our minor differences. And so part of this uh, beauty was that uh, it says, neither did anyone say that anything that he possessed was his own. So that was part of the early church work of the Holy Spirit, the unity uh, the solidarity, you know, that's, that's a new word to me, solidarity. I think it's something we see in the news nowadays, which solidarity, you know, we're going to tackle these issues that are happening culturally. Well, John Stott uses the word um, back in, you know, the 1970s describing the early church, that they had a fundamental solidarity here. They had all things in common is the end of this phrase, all things in common. Now, this is really great. And Beg said it years ago, and it's always stuck in my mind, as he said, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. Now, Beg said they were his own. He just didn't say that they were his own. See the difference? Okay, you see, like, the Lord didn't strip people of their possessions. He would give possessions for generous purposes as the needs would arise. And so that's just a beautiful thing that we see among Christendom and that we see even in our church um, is that it is just a wonderful thing to see the blessings that God has given many of you and that you have just said, hey, it's, it's the Lord's. So whatever, you know, we have this rental house and there's someone in need. What can we do to help with the rental house? Hey, someone's moving, they need a trailer. The tra- just yesterday, we had a text start going, someone needs help moving. I can't make it, I'm out of town, but the trailer's in the driveway, two and five sixteenths ball, come get it, you know? And so it's just a beautiful thing in the church that we're not like selfishly, like the non-believers, mine, mine, mine. This is mine, don't touch it, don't look at it, you know? But we say, hey, it's for the kingdom. So whatever I have, it's the Lord's. This mark of generosity, my friends, is a mark of the Holy Spirit being upon a church. So, a little convicting if there's things in your life that you say, this is mine. <clears throat> this is mine. You can't touch it. You can't look at it. And, and maybe the Lord would show you his great grace towards you in providing your every need. And now you would be able to say, Lord, wherever there's a need for your kingdom, uh, I, I give it there. Um, they had all things in common. One beautiful thing we see about this type of generosity, and it was said of the Macedonians in Philippians, um, but, uh, yes, Philippians. So one of the beautiful things that we see is that the, the Christians that give are willing, are willing to feel the squeeze so that the people that don't have don't feel the pinch. Does that make sense? So like, maybe we need to be generous and give and open up this room in our home or, or give this extra vehicle to this person that needs it for, the, for a, a season or for permanent whatever. And you know what? It's okay. I'm willing to feel that, that squeeze and it's gonna, we're going to have to tighten up our belts a little bit. We're going to have to do without a little bit so that these people that I love don't have to feel the pinch and the pain of going without. Uh, what was happening was all of a sudden in Jerusalem, there's tens of thousands of new Christians in Jerusalem that had been there just for a festival. So they come into town, they're born again, they're filled with the spirit. They're like, we can't go home without learning more about Jesus and having training and discipleship. We gotta stay in town. So they're hanging out, and all of their vacation money, if you will, is coming to the end of it. Have you ever been there? You're like, last day at Disneyland, and the kid wants the big turkey leg. You know what do you do? For, you know, and you're like, sorry, buddy. You know, but the coin purse is getting a little, little light. You know, and so that's what's happening in Jerusalem. Like we're running out of money, and uh, but we're, we're sticking here for discipleship, and so the generosity happened to provide uh, for the need, and so they had all things in common. It was said a couple weeks ago in chapter two, which is a parallel passage. It was said that this wasn't government forced communism, but rather gospel motivated community. And there's a difference. It wasn't something being stripped and taken from people, there was no compulsion, okay? Unless the compulsion was simply from a heart of love and generosity, okay? Oh, no man, anything, but love for one another is what Paul says. And so we see that these were people that were just like, hey, look at what Jesus is doing. I have some extra here, I have extra here, and I'm willing to give. And we'll see in the story coming up in chapter five that when someone had a possession, it was their own to give or receive. We're gonna see that with Ananias. It wasn't stripped from them by the government in a communistic model. Uh, Stott says, this was the fundamental solidarity of love which the believers enjoyed and their economic sharing was what but one expression of the union of their hearts and minds. It was a radical attitude in particular to their uh, possessions. Looking on in verse 33, and with great power... The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So there's great generosity. There's great power. In the Greek, it's megas dynamos, right? Megadynamite. I like it, right? With great power, they were preaching. And what was the message they were preaching? We've been talking about this as we've been going through the book of Acts. They are talking about the, it's coming up, right? We're on Passion Week, Holy Week. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You guys, the Lord has given us a great opportunity this week. He has been equipping us for the last couple weeks. As we've watched the early church, they've been testifying of the resurrection of Jesus. Remember in chapter one, when they were picking a new disciple or a new apostle, they said, okay, we got these two guys to pick from. We're looking for someone that's been with us and has seen Jesus risen from the dead so that they can go on and keep preaching about Jesus being risen from the dead, okay? Huge part of gospel evangelism is preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. Have I not been hammering it for the last few weeks? Like, have you been, in your preaching and your gospel sharing, around the water cooler, around the horse trough, at the checkout counter, have you been telling people about the resurrection of Jesus? And here we go, you guys, this is Passion Week. This is the week to be, just mention it to people. Have you ever considered the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, okay? It's been called the best proved fact in all of history and many great minds, legal attorneys, historians, professors, judges up in governmental positions, people who've set out to disprove Christianity by trying to show that Jesus is still dead somewhere. They ended up finding out Jesus is alive. They become Christians and they go out telling people, okay? So I'm telling you, this week, you're like, I've never done it before. I've never preached the gospel, okay? Well, this week, just, has, has anyone ever talked to you about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? I heard this week that it's the best proved fact in all of history. Maybe we should look into this, all right? I mean, there you go. I gave you your talking point, okay? Boom, go for it. Uh, in 2019, our trip to Nepal was really exciting because... We were trekking in Nepal during Passover. Well, why is that exciting? You're in Nepal, not Israel. For some reason, there were a bunch of Israeli nationals, high, you know, 19-year-olds, walking around in Nepal, trekking right there with us. So we're in the restaurant and in the guest houses with Israelis, and I'm asking them, are you celebrating Passover? We celebrate Passover. You do not. You do not celebrate Passover I do. I celebrate Passover. Why would you celebrate Passover? Because I believe that Passover is a prophecy of the Messiah dying for the sins to save Israel out of the world. Oh, what? And just multiple times, our bus broke down. Our leaf spring bundle just falls off the bus up on a Himalayan mountain, and we're sitting around. And Israelis just sitting around. And I beginning at Abraham, go through their history and tell them about. Je- it was so powerful, you guys talking to Jews. They don't know anything. These ones anyways, they didn't know it. They're like, who is this Abraham? I'm like, are you joking with me right now? Right? (laughs) And when you just, I mean, guys, it's scary. It's exciting, right? It's a rush. Like, I don't know, there's a bunch of Jews here. It's Passover. I celebrate Passover. I know what it's all pointing to. I'm gonna go ahead and open up my mouth about Jesus, right? Where did we spend Easter Sunday 2019? Up in a mountain, I don't know, maybe 14,000 feet, stuck in a guest house, with some Germans on their honeymoon who had got lost but had been kind of following us and they were so glad they were stuck in a, in a guest house with us. It's Easter Sunday. My favorite message is the resurrection. And so I'm like, hey, hey, Christian, Christian, have you ever heard of the resurrection of Jesus? Oh my goodness, you guys, it was so powerful. Uh, he's since rejected my ideas, you know, since we've been, but you know maybe it's still there right little seeds right it's like wait a minute like festering right um, so guys do jesus a solid this week right like he's done a bit for you that's just oh rah, rah, rah. and just how did rory put it have you ever thought about the resurrection of jesus from the dead or do you ever know anybody that's resurrected from the dead i don't know okay i know of someone that's resurrected from the dead you know just do it All right, and my testimony, anybody else here ever been where like, all I gotta do is just open my mouth and then the Lord comes through and one, no, nobody. Okay, it was a rhetorical question. I didn't expect you to read it. Okay, so, and here's the thing, and it's the same for you as it was for me. Promise of Acts chapter one, verse eight. Magus dynamos will be upon you as you do it. Magus dynamos, all right, mega power. Uh, What else was upon them? Magus charis. Great grace. So we've got great generosity. We've got great power. We've got great grace. J.B. Phillips' translation says, there was a wonderful spirit of generosity. And you know what? I mean, as I'm encouraging you guys towards generosity, that is just the testimony of, of our church, right? Did you guys know, maybe you're new to Calvary, our vision has been that when we send missionaries out, that missionaries only pay half the cost to go. They're already paying for so much more. And you know what? You guys rise to the occasion and give generously so that it super abounds upon us that our trips are paid for. It's just incredible. Thank you for your generosity. When we show missionary pictures and needs of missionaries and we bring missionaries in, you know, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. You know, like, hey, we'll bring you before the church and if they feel led to to do it, it's great. And then, you know, don't talk about gambling from the pulpit, please. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah, and... And it's like, I'm just so confident that, you know what? These people have a vision for the unreached of the world to get the gospel to them. Our church is gonna stand up and rise up. And every time, we are a, we are a, a wonderful fragrance, you guys, to the missionary community. People know Calvary Chapel, Prineville, they're gonna help you out if you're going out on mission. Like, thank you for your generosity. Magus Karis, praise God. It's a mark of the Holy Spirit being upon our church. And so what does it look like when there's magus charis upon a church? Look in verse 34. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. So multitudes of people getting saved there in the church, one heart, one mind, magus powers, magus caris, and nobody lacked there. The ESV version says, there was not a needy person among them. And that ought to be the testimony of the local church. Galatians says, as much as possible, you give generously to everyone who has need, especially to those who are of the household of faith. When you're a member of a local congregation, I'm not talking about signing the dotted line, you know, giving the drop of your blood on the altar of church membership here at Calvary Chapel, we don't do that, Uh, but... What I am talking about, when you're a part of a local church, like if you're a part of this body, you're grafted in here by the Spirit, there's people see your need, people know your need, people love you, and you're just the Lord's gonna be taking care of you. All right? He provides generously for those who are among a local congregation, especially to those, as Galatians says, who are of the household of faith. Now, in, in a little bit here, we prayerfully distinguish between what was just a description of the early church or what's a prescription for the church i don't know if you notice the difference but a description would be like this is just what happened there this doesn't necessarily mean that there's a command for us today and one way that you would decide between decipher between description or prescription is where else do we see such behavior in an early church and the call from the apostles to behave in these manners. And so generosity, always a prescription for the church. How you might go about it may look different. There was a certain cultural thing happening in Jerusalem at that time because of the revival happening. Same thing's not happening here today. However, the generous prescription Always needed all times in all places okay uh, it 's all kind of rules of interpretation, as you see one of the times the apostles would bring this up again, uh, it was because there would be a famine in this same place, and their needs would need to be provided for, so all the new churches took up an offering to provide during that famine and in First Corinthians chapter sixteen verse two here 's the prescription on the first day of the week. let each one of you lay something aside storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. And so the prescription that even goes to 2022 Prineville is on the first day of the week, what day is that? Sunday, all right? Sunday is the day that Christians started meeting after Jesus rose from the dead. Look at a church history book, people. People were so excited that Jesus rose from the dead. It fundamentally changed uh, the difference between Jews and Christians Because Christians had a new celebration. Uh, They had the celebration of Jesus risen from the dead. You read the Didache, the traditions, the the church fathers, and the books of the histories within the Bible. And it was on that first day of the week that they would gather and they would give. And how would they give? They would set something aside. And there's this key phrase, as you may prosper. Okay, so you you don't have to give. Uh, which you don't have. You don't have anything. But what you have, you give from that. Okay? It's this principle of Christian giving. Now, uh, Paul tells us in First Corinthians that the Macedonians were a great example of this. They gave in three ways. Okay? The Macedonians gave according to their ability, secondly, beyond their ability, So that's maybe where you feel that squeeze. Like, I I give a little bit everywhere I go, and it's not a big deal. But then I give beyond my ability, which shows sacrificial generosity, right? It shows the squeeze so others don't feel the pinch, okay? And then the final thing the Macedonians were were famous for in their generosity was they were freely willing. Can you do that with your ring finger? (laughs) Okay, freely willing. Okay, so, oh, I give... um, according to my ability on a Sunday when I come. Praise God. And it goes towards the work of the ministry, okay? I give beyond my ability in an offering, kind of extra, as the Holy Spirit may prompt me. And in all things, I'm freely willing. I don't say anything I possess is mine, 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 mine. I'm not a three-year-old, okay? Not into the terrible twos, all right? I'm freely willing with whatever the Lord has given me, okay? Okay. And so uh, moving on, we see with this sacrificial action that they would lay their goods at the apostles' feet and the apostles would distribute to each one as anyone has need. Uh, If you go back to the parallel passage in Acts 2, so just a couple sections back or chapters back, 244. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common and they sold their possessions and their goods and then they divided them among all as anyone had need. So we see church leadership has a very important role of dividing these generous gifts towards people as they see the need. And, uh, and it's where we see this principle that God has made us distribution centers as individuals and as churches, okay? We are distribution centers We are not warehouse facilities, okay? Do you know the difference, all right? Warehouse, storage units, it all comes in and we just keep it, keep it, and keep it. We just keep getting bigger and bigger and fatter and we gotta buy more storage units. We gotta get more stuff. We just gotta, it's all mine, it's all mine. We just make this place bigger and fancier and all this. No, like God has given us these things so that we are generously distributing them out as there are needs and God is so faithful and it's been the testimony of many people in this room that as we learn the principle of Christian uh giving that may be a tithe or it may be a thrive I don't know uh you know it doesn't have to be 10 percent. that's just a good place to start but as we just learn principles of Christian generosity we give we give we give and then it's the thing that God tells us to test him in see if you can outgive me Huh? See if you can outgive me. Oh, 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 There's not enough treasure house, storehouses and windows in heaven to keep. Get, to, to. Um, you know, see what I'm saying, right? It's, it's Malachi, right? There's, there's no way that we can store it all up. He'll just keep try to outgive. Just try to outgive, all right? So distribution centers, right? And so that's what we desire to be um, as a church. And then verse 36, we have a testimony of this generosity. A guy named Joseph. Who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Uh, having land, he sold it and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this great testimony of this for the glory of God is a guy named Joseph, who also has this name, son of encouragement, Barnabas, all right, Barnabas, um, son of encouragement, and... Uh, We affectionately in the middle school group, as we go through the book of Acts, we've been calling him Barney, right? Barney. Barney had friends, right? Okay, Barney was a dinosaur. Okay, Barney, Barnabas, generous. He's gonna be a fragrance as we go through the book of Acts of compassion, love, love, Encouragement. He's going to come after the apostle Paul and help him when nobody else likes him because of his past. Uh, he's going to go after his cousin or nephew John Mark and love on him in chapter fifteen. When Paul the apostle even didn't really like John Mark very much at the time, there was Barney. All right, he had lots of good friends. Barnabas. That doesn't help you remember though, right? Who was Barnabas in the Bible? Well, Barney had Barney had a lot of friends. Okay, um, he was generous and he had some land. He was a Levite, so there's some history that the Levites weren't supposed to have land. So maybe he was convicted and he sold that or uh, there's some different thoughts on that. But uh, he was just a generous guy who would be a wonderful fragrance among uh, the church. And I encourage you guys, be a Barnabas, be a Barnabas. Uh, Lindsay and I have uh, a friend from our youth when we began dating and Lindsay and I have just a fun, um, joking friendship. You know, Love-hate is what some people... No, I'm kidding. Uh, No, Lindsay and I love to tease each other and, you know, poke each other and, you know, and sometimes she'd come back with me with some good, like, good one. Like, that was a zinger. Nowadays, the kids say, oh, burn, you know? Um, But when my friend Ivan would hear Lindsay, like, dig at me, he'd go, whoa, ex-Barnabas, and he'd call her ex-Barnabas. So that's it forever. Her nickname with Ivan was ex-Barnabas, which means not very encouraging, right? Okay, but... She's totally a Barnabas. She's my cheerleader. Um, But the opposite of Barnabas is being an ex-Barnabas. Alistair Begg says of Barnabas, the church, not only in the first century, but in every subsequent century, has been sustained and blessed and enriched, not by those who were prominent, apparently heroic, but largely predominantly by those who were unsung heroes, by those whose names were never printed up in lights, by those who were never known other than by those in their immediate circle, By some, perhaps, who were tempted to believe that as they made their pilgrimage through life to the end of their days, they may have thought they died after they lived an insignificant life. But you know, none of us lives insignificantly and none of us dies insignificantly. God's put us in our time and place that we might be Barnabases, that we might be sons of encouragement, that we might be generous, that we might reach out. I've been telling my kids and praying for them. They go to public school, now my little ones, and I pray for them as I drop them off that they would go love the kids that don't have any friends and that just aren't loved on. And Titus, his name means encourager. Titus Hart, and if you know him, he is an encourager. Um, And so in this Barnabas, he had land, he sold it, he brought it to the apostles' feet. And uh, with this uh, community... I wanna quote John Stott on this. Some have called this generous moment in church history the Jerusalem experiment, all right? The Jerusalem experiment. In seeking to evaluate the so-called Jerusalem experiment, we shall be wise to avoid extreme positions. We have no liberty to dismiss it as a rash and foolish mistake motivated by the false expectation of an imminent second coming of Jesus So some think that, well, because everyone was like, Jesus said he's coming back soon. So just stay in Jerusalem and just kind of like build a, you know, a a kibbutz, you know, a a commune, commune, you know. Uh, Jesus is coming right back. And so some have falsely said that's why they did that, uh, which caused poverty. Paul had later to remedy by his collection from the Greek churches, but Luke gives no sense of these things. Nor can we say, however, that the Jerusalem church being filled with the spirit laid down an obligatory model, a kind of primitive Christian communism which God wants all spirit-filled communities to copy. The fact that the selling and giving were voluntary is enough to dispose of this. And so, uh, you guys, I'm gonna do a little Passion Week Palm Sunday present to you. We have five minutes left. I'm all ready to go through the next 11 verses of chapter five, but I'm gonna table it for when I get back. How's that sound? Okay, okay. You're like, that is the best Passion Week present. Forget the Easter chocolate bunny. And five minutes early, much better. So we'll have the worship team uh, come on up. And I don't know, guys, if you're like me, it is so exciting to go through the word. I, sometimes I feel like one of the two on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, that when Jesus opened up the Bible and was talking to them about it, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened up the scriptures to us. And when you read the book, I mean, we just read a couple of verses in chapter four of what the Holy Spirit was doing in the early church. And doesn't your heart just burn within you? Don't you sense the heart of the Lord that he desires this community right here to be living in megas generosity, right? Mega generosity. megas dynamos, right? Great power, that we would go out from here and testify of Jesus resurrecting from the dead. Uh, and don't you sense the heart of the Lord that we would, and I, I would say, use the word continue in magus caris, great grace. We would be gracious with one another. Maybe that's not really a, a, a word that maybe is used to describe your personality. You're not very gracious. Jesus says, well, through Paul, he says that we would be um, Well, it would be Jesus, regarding the salt of the earth, right? Salt, making, making people thirsty for more, making people thirsty for Jesus, preserving people, and uh, you know we are the salt of the earth. And are you a gracious piece of rock salt as you go out there, or are you more? You're bitter. You're Mara. You know you're the, you're a a carcass in a well. You know Uh, that's not that's not a Christian. Right, God wants us to be infused with his grace As we spend time with him So uh, maybe you'll stand with me today And just over yourself Maybe the Lord has just convicted you of Oh man, I've got that thing Oh Lord, so much of what I have You know it's yours Oh man Someone needs a dog leash at any given moment Oh, take the dog leash, you know Or you know, some oh you need to borrow a a pitchfork or you know a, a garden hoe. Oh, the garden hoe. I, no problem. Oh, you know, motorhome for the weekend? Ah, the motor home. The dolphin. It's my favorite possession that I have, you know? And just think of the people that had the dolphin back in 2000. You know, they're like, my dolphin motorhome. And you now now that dolphin's like, limping around town, like, somebody borrowed me already. Like, that motorhome, you guys, I don't know if you know the depreciation factor on those motorhomes. Like, if it's not used, it's gone, right? Uh, just the, your things, like, oh, man. Back in the day, it was, uh, in my youth group, you asked somebody to play their guitar. So, uh, you know, a high school kid that's learning worship, and he'd go up and he'd see a guitar on the stage, like, oh, I wanted to, oh, hey, did you ask to use that guitar? Did you ask the owner? Oh, no, sorry, so I go ask. Can I use that guitar? I'm sorry, I really just got it and it's really still got the gloss on it. You know, it's like, forget it, not my guitar, Lord's guitar. Play that bad boy, learn how to worship, right? Whatever it is, like where you burned up the gift that you gave us for Easter. <clears throat> sorry, Lord. <sighs> great generosity, great power. Lord, I just pray over our church. And I just am convicted as I go to Nepal, Lord. I just was with a, just a restoration damage control guy company who was helping a guy with a flooded home this week and just you prompted me to tell him about you and I just didn't. And Lord, that we would hear those promptings and go for it, God, with great power, great grace, great generosity that the fragrance of Jesus would be in this town, in this world. Lord, go ahead, guys, close us out in song. It's in, uh, I believe, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, where Paul has this great passage about Christian generosity, and he brings up the Macedonians, that, uh, that they were giving according to their ability and beyond their ability. They were freely willing. Uh, and then after all this passage he tells us why we should be generous. And there's this beautiful closing phrase in chapter nine, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, the gift of Jesus. And that's, that's what motivates us, that propels us, is that he was so generous to give himself for us, right? And now we're generous to give out for others. So let's go with that heart this week. Stick around, 45 minutes or so, Fireside Fellowship got a nice maple with your name on it right in there. Okay, come grab some coffee, hang out, but don't forget your kids first.